National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. The Biden administration promised a whole government response to the pro-life Texas heartbeat law, and last week we saw Congress act on that when House Democrats passed the Women's Health Protection Act. How are pro-life advocates responding to this federal push for so-called abortion rights? EWTN's Catherine Hadro weighs in. Then Register Rome correspondent Edward Penton reports on the latest Vatican news, including the trial of Cardinal Betchew. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief of the National Catholic Register, your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined from the EWTN News Studios in Washington, D.C. by Matthew Bunsen, who is EWTN News' executive editor and gratefully my host. Hi, Matthew. Great to be with you. So covering uh, current affairs uh, that affect the church across the globe keeps our relatively small EWTN News team very, very busy. Wouldn't you say, Matthew? Uh, that would be more than fair to say, <laughs> and not just in D.C., but on multiple continents, and exactly. trying to keep up with everything is a challenge, but it's also a privilege to do because of our role in Catholic media. Yes, and you know, I was thinking about this. I mean, we are all so busy, and we are a pretty small team and covering the globe, but in the U.S. right now, it feels like uh, there's one person <laughs> who is covering something that is capturing headlines nearly every day. Uh, and that member is joining us today. It's, it's Catherine Hadro. I mean, she has been covering pro-life news for years now. But with this Biden administration push for what he has called or what they have called the whole government response to the Texas pro-life law, Catherine has been very, very busy. <laughs> uh, so I am very delighted uh, that uh, you are joining us today, Catherine. Uh, you are, of course, producer and host of EWTN's Pro-Life Weekly, and this has become just a hugely important show for all of the EWTN audience, uh, TV and radio, uh, and even over here at the National Catholic Register. You know, you, you've written for us online, and and we often like to, to hear from you directly on Register Radio. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I know I was going to say the pro-life issue. It's hard enough just um, keeping up with a pro-life issue in and of itself in D.C., let alone the global Catholic Church. Right. Right. And, and actually, there's news there we could talk about, too. But, but today, I really wanted to focus on what has happened recently. So in mm -hmm. just in the last uh, a couple of weeks, uh, we have had the Women's Health Protection Act. This was something that kind of has mm -hmm. been threatened for a while um, because of the, the advances in pro-life laws like the one in Texas. Uh, what does, first of all, let's start from the very mm -hmm. beginning, what does the uh, Women's Health Protection Act propose and what happened last week uh, related to this? Right. Well, the Women's Health Protection Act has a very deceiving name because we know it has nothing to do about women's health. It's very extreme. It expands abortion on demand, and it does that because it prevents the enforcement of existing pro-life laws both at the federal level and at the state level, and it would block states from passing new pro-life laws. It essentially codifies Roe v. Wade. Um, we saw as soon as that, as that Texas heartbeat law was enacted, Speaker Pelosi tweeted out, I'm going to bring this to the House floor for a vote. 
and it did pass the House. Uh, one silver lining is it is not likely to pass the Senate. However, it just goes to show this extreme reaction we are seeing from the pro-abortion side right now in response to this Texas heartbeat law. I think they're scared of um, just really this pro-life momentum that we're feeling and its reactions that continued on with a very emotional House hearing last week on Capitol Hill. We saw those extreme emotional reactions during that so-called Women's March this past weekend. Um, it's a it's a tumultuous time right now. Yeah, Catherine, uh, this issue is not going away anytime soon. Obviously, the, the Biden administration has made it one of its key priorities to advance the abortion agenda. But we're also seeing that play out in Capitol Hill. And yet things haven't necessarily gone the way they had hoped or many of us assumed given the Democratic control on the Hill. Right. There is really this holdout in the Senate with Senator Manchin. And there's a lot of pro-life groups who are continuing to just you know, speak with him and, and you know get him to continue to promise he would not vote for anything that violates the Hyde Amendment, for example. And we just this week heard President Biden comment, would he support that reconciliation bill if the Hyde Amendment was included? He said he would. And so I think that is not um, what the aggressive wing of the abortion movement is happy to hear. And Nancy Pelosi, of course, is uh, one of the key figures in promoting a, yeah. a self-proclaimed Catholic. Yes. Uh, yeah. She's one of the key figures in promoting this agenda. And yet here we have this very important back and mm -hmm. forth that she's had with Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of yes. San Francisco. Yes, he's been very vocal. He's been a very vocal in responding to statements that she's made. I mean, our just the other week, our colleague Eric Rosales over at EWTN News Nightly, the Capitol Hill correspondent, he was was able to speak and ask uh, Speaker Pelosi a question about her response to Archbishop Cordelion, her archbishop, um, saying that this Women's Health Protection Act is nothing short of child sacrifice. She brushed that aside, um, you know, really excusing her pro-abortion stance, saying that she has a God-given free will, and this is what she's choosing to do with that free will. And I just, I, I would love to highlight and I have him on EW Chan Pro-Life Weekly this week. Archbishop Cordelion is really responding in a beautiful way with this new prayer initiative, where in response to that, he is calling on Catholics to fast every Friday and to pray a rosary every week to pray for the conversion of Speaker Pelosi's heart on this issue, on her maternal heart. He says, listen, she obviously has a maternal heart. She speaks frequently about being a mother and having quite a few children very quickly. You know, she knows the beauty of life. Let us pray for her conversion and let us fast. And I think that's such a, we, we need to hear that reminder that we as Catholics, we do have a responsibility to pray and to fast when it comes to this issue of abortion. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's it, part of this is not sitting back and just kind of watching this, uh, what, what almost seems like a war, uh, you right. know, going on uh, back and forth and, and where, where the pro-life uh, side advances with some laws and then, you know, there's an affront uh, to, mm -hmm. to that. Um, what, what we as Catholics need to do is, yes, support these pro-life laws. Uh, we, we should uh, be, you know, making our voice known uh, to our representatives, but we have a great duty to pray and fast, as you're saying. Yes. Uh, and, and EWTN has partnered, mm -hmm. I, I should mention this, that 
you know, there's ample opportunity to pray mm-hmm. the rosary with EWTN. And, and during this month of October, with, which is the month of the rosary, it's also pro-life month, mm-hmm. uh, there is this opportunity uh, to partner with others. And that's what EWTN has done with Relevant Radio and Napa Institute uh, to, to have a joint rosary effort. Uh, uh, CNA, Catholic News Agency, has written about this, uh, uh, this effort. And, and it basically makes known the, the ample times we have to say the rosary with EWTN, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say those just in case our listeners don't know, but 9 a.m. every day, uh, Monday mm-hmm. through Saturday, uh, 9 a.m. Eastern, another opportunity basically at 3.30 uh, Eastern uh, uh, every, every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, these are great opportunities to pray with others who are praying the rosary at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, led by Mother Angelica, the, the, the re- recordings we have of her, but also by the Franciscan missionaries of the eternal word. So mm-hmm. a little plug there to, to community uh, when we pray uh, together. Uh, Catherine, what though do we expect, I guess, mm-hmm. in, the, in the coming uh, weeks and months uh, related to what, as I mentioned, seems like a, a battle? You know, you mentioned how President Biden responded to the Texas heartbeat law, saying he will have a whole-of-government response. And one of the first things he did was the DOJ came out basically saying they will not permit any uh, violence outside of abortion facilities um, following this Texas heartbeat law. Well, of course, we in the pro-life movement know that's not a concern of our—we are not violent, and that's not going to be a concern. But I think we're going to continue to see the Biden— administration try to see how they can um, how they can just make strides in the uh, in promoting abortion and we saw that this week the Biden administration announced they are reversing the protect life rule which was a pro-life policy enacted by President Trump and um, if I may I'll just kind of share what that rule said and now what Please. this reversal means so it's a, a little bit wonky um, but stick with me it, the Trump administration enacted the protect life rule which stops title 10 family planning tax dollars from going towards organizations that perform or promote abortion this this totally makes sense and this included Planned Parenthood which had enjoyed 50 to 60 million dollars every single year from this program from this title 10 program Biden this week has reversed that so now these taxpayer dollars will go back towards places that perform or promote abortion including to Planned Parenthood and I believe this title 10 family federal planning dollars are their second largest source of federal income so Planned Parenthood the Biden administration is scoring points with Planned Parenthood right now. But what I also think we'll continue to see, Janai, in the coming weeks, in the coming months, especially in light of the upcoming Supreme Court abortion case, I think things are going to get really ugly and tense. I think I wouldn't be surprised if we see more demonstrations out in the streets, such Mm -hmm. as this uh, past weekend's Women's March. People are going to be angry, which again is that reiteration, we need to fast and pray. Because we know, Scripture tells us, there are some evil spirits that can only be cast out from both prayer and fasting. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and as you said, you know, there was this Women's March. Uh, Catholic News Agency wrote a bit about uh, marches throughout the country. So there was a march in Washington, D.C., and then there were others spawned throughout the, the country, you know, apparently supporting women's access uh, to abortion against some of these pro-life laws. 
there were people who showed up there too who were pro-lifers and who just wanted to mm -hmm. represent that side mm -hmm. uh, and this is going to happen and that's uh, that's a good um, uh, voice for life, and, mm -hmm. and yet we do need to pray for those peaceful encounters so that we can uh, truly represent life in every, in every way. Uh, as mm -hmm. you said, we're not a violent movement. Mm -hmm. We are a movement that pleads for women uh, and, and really pleads for the unborn, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned, and several times we've mentioned looking ahead, uh, to the Supreme Court Dobbs case, but there is another case um, that we should be attentive to. What is that? Yes, that is happening next week, and it's called Cameron versus EMW Women's Surgical Center. So it has to do concerning Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron, and it does have pro-life repercussions, but I should say it's it is more of a procedural Supreme Court case. It's not as significant as this upcoming Dobbs case in December, but next week, it's on October 12th, I believe, um, the Supreme Court will take up this question, which is, can Kentucky's attorney general defend his state's pro-life law? Because here's what happened a few years ago, about three years ago, Kentucky's Republican governor um, signed into law a dismemberment abortion ban. It was... Um, struck down by lower courts. And now there's a Democrat governor who wants nothing to do with this pro-life law. So the Kentucky attorney general is saying, listen, I'm a pro-life attorney general. I have the right to defend my state's pro-life law that was passed by these elected members of Congress. The Supreme Court will look at that procedural question. Does he have that right? And if he does, that dismemberment abortion ban case will go back to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. So there are pro-life repercussions to it that we should be paying attention to. And I think it once again speaks to the significant role that pro-life attorney generals play in the states. I mean, look at Attorney General Lynn Fitch in Mississippi, who right. wrote that brief to the court ahead of Dobbs saying it's time to reverse Roe v. Wade. These are these are significant roles. So we'll be we'll be keeping our eye on that. And in fact, Attorney General Daniel Cameron will be on EWTN Pro-Life Weekly next week. Great, Catherine. It's just a sign and a reminder of how much our uh, our local uh, politics matters. I, I think mm -hmm. you're you're showing that very clearly. Well, Catherine Hadro of EWTN Pro Life Weekly. It's uh, so good to talk to you, and thanks as always for your important coverage of this issue. Oh, God bless you. Thank you for your coverage. <laughs> thanks. When we come back, we'll be talking to Edward Penton from Rome about the latest Vatican news. This is Register Radio on EWTN. Stay tuned for more. Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. 
Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, my co-host, and today we have Edward Penton, the Vatican, or I should say the Rome correspondent for the National Catholic Register, joining us from Rome. Uh, Hello, Edward. It's good to have you. Hi, Jeanette. Good to be back with you. So this week we had the second hearing of a historic Vatican finance trial. Uh, it was set for, I believe, Tuesday, and it cul- mm. it's the second hearing. So um, this, uh, the first hearing back in July was the culmination of more than two years of investigation, I believe, by the Vatican into what happened around uh, the Secretary of State's, what, 350 million euro purchase of investment property in London between 2014 and 2018. You've reported all about this, so I don't know why I'm doing the reporting right now, but just to recap. <laughs> um, but the hearing uh, this week that involved Cardinal Angelo Becciu, uh didn't go very far. What happened? Yes, well, back in on July 27th, which was the first day of the hearing, uh, it was adjourned because the defense lawyers said that they they weren't, weren't happy with the way uh, the prosecution had, had uh, organized their case and presented their case. They, they said they'd missed out um, key transcripts of a key witness, um, and they wondered what those parts of that transcript were, the testimony that they left out. They thought that was unfair. They also felt that uh, <clears throat> the defense, uh, those who'd been prosecuted, hadn't actually been properly questioned or hadn't had the right to be questioned before uh, before the the uh, court the trial took place, and they thought that was um, also uh, unfair on them. Um, but the the issue really was that the lack of evidence. And so uh, the deputy prosecutor for the Vatican said that they would present that evidence uh, by August 9th, um, but they didn't. And so when they appeared uh, this week on October 5th, um, they said, "Well, where is that? Where is that missing information?" And um, could you supply it? It's still unfair. It's still not. It's going to be. Uh, they they claimed that they could nullify the trial if they don't get that information, and it re- revolves around um, a key testimony uh, with uh, a key Vatican official in all of this, uh, Monsignor Alberto Palasca, um, and uh, there's lots of um, testimony that he's given, uh, very much um, accusing Cardinal Becciu of wrongdoing. Um, at least that's what we believe. Um, and there were parts of that which were missing. And so they they said, well, that's still not there. And so they they asked the president of the tribunal if if it could be adjourned again and for that information to be presented. And that's essentially what the president did. He said um, that they would uh, adjourn and they'll come back on November the 17th um, to okay. hopefully have all the evidence presented then. So just, you know, someone familiar with this, but um, but ha- haven't delved into it as much as you have, obviously. I, I, my first take is it seems like there's an issue of transparency here, um, or maybe it's just an issue of organization. Uh, what are your insights, and have uh, have you been talking to to people yeah. there in Rome who could, could give you some insights on that? Yes, well, it's two things, really. Part of it's logistical. They, they didn't really have... Um, the wherewithal to get it all together. And part of it is also related to um, one extra part of this is computer data, which which apparently is the lots of DVDs worth of of data, which would cost something like 200,000 euros to produce. Mm-hmm. And the prosecutor said, well, that's not going to be possible. Um, so that's one other aspect of this. But yes, it's, it's primarily um, 
I think, a logistical thing. But also uh, what I found out is that um, the the magistrates, when they were questioning uh, Monsignor Palaska, uh, apparently they were questioning him with the intention of, of condemning Cardinal Betchu. This is what I understand. Now, I need to check this. Um, but this is what I've heard. And, of course, that would be a breach of uh, a fair trial if that was the case. Um, and this is why they were keen to cut out bits of, of Monsignor Palacio's testimony. Apparently, mm. they cleaned up the audio so that um, you couldn't hear what the magistrates were asking Monsignor Palasca because that would have painted it in a bad light. It would have um, shown that they had intention to to condemn uh, Cardinal Betchu. And so so that's that's why that part of it was missing. Now, it's as the president has, has agreed to, that this should all be supplied at the next um, hearing. So we're going to hear, I think, everything that, that they said. And okay. uh, that could be quite interesting, uh, quite an interesting development when that happens. Sure. So much more should come to light. I think you said it in November. Is that the next deadline? That's right. November the 17th okay. is the deadline. They have to present all of the forensic evidence by November 3rd. So okay. so they don't have all that much time, but they, they're going to try to do it. Sure, sure. Okay, well, that's uh, thank you for that report. And uh, as always, uh, check those sources. It's it, it's a very interesting development, um, you, you know, and what you've heard is is important for us to, to follow up on. You know, Edward, mm. another kind of procedural issue with the proceeding we've been following happened with the German Synod. That uh, mm. it, it has been extended, we've heard, to 2023. Well, they had a meeting, uh, one of their three-day meetings just uh, last week uh, that did not end in a vote, which was expected. Uh, tell us what's going on with the German Synod. Yes, well, they didn't have enough uh, for the quorum, so they they um, they just fell short. So they had to finish the the this uh this is a key meeting. They had this is only the second one of the synodal path, which they've had, and they had to finish it abruptly. But before they did finish it, they they were voting on various issues, and they voted um, a majority. I think by two thirds, they voted for um, a document challenging traditional church teaching on sexual morality. They said in their text that uh, there should be a development of blessings for same-sex couples. That was passed uh, by the synodal path. Uh, they also had a, a vote on whether uh, the priesthood is actually needed, and that that passed. Oh, uh, just to have a debate on that, um, that passed by one vote. Um, so they will be discussing that. Um, the president of the bishops' conference tried to uh, paint uh, painted in a good light, saying, "Well, we're going to debate the positive aspects of of the priesthood, and that's going to give us a chance to do that." But uh, but clearly, they're um, they're wanting to to. Uh, discuss whether a priesthood is needed and that that was the that was what was um discussed and voted upon so that was that's another part but yes that, so things are um hotting up with the synodal path and it's been extended until 2023 um it was supposed to actually finish this month uh, right. but it's uh, then it was extended to february next year because of um the covid uh, uh, pandemic and now it's been extended even further so so there's um plenty more to go in this uh, this synodal path. Edward, is there a thought uh, in terms of this extension of trying to get this into closer proximity to the Synod of Bishops in Rome, which is, of course, the Synod on Synodality, because this is exactly what they're arguing needs to happen with the Synod of Bishops? Yes, although uh, Cardinal Casper, who I was in touch with uh, last week, actually said that uh, he tried to make a dis tried to distinguish between the two. He said they're quite different, um, the synodal 
uh, part the the synod on synodality he said is is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's it's really a way to to find a way forward for the, the universal church whereas the synodal path um, is is much more uh, locally based and it's not uh, it's not binding or at least it's not supposed to be binding and it's really giving a chance for the local uh, the local church to discuss issues that they think are important and not necessarily, um, obviously not uh, uh, applicable to the universal church. But um, so that's, that's there is a big difference between the two, at least according to Cardinal Casper. And so you can't really equate them both. But um, but there are, as you know, great concerns about this synodal path and concerns that it, it could lead to schism, that it's being basically hijacked by uh, very radical groups. And a lot of the voting that's taking place on this, whether it's um, for women priests or same-sex blessings of same-sex union, this is um, this has really been pushed by these radical groups. And I think the voting, as what I've heard, is sort of 70 to 30. So 70, uh, over two-thirds of voting for these issues, hmm. and they want to see them pursued, whereas the minority are either keeping quiet or voting against it. So it seems to be heading in a very precarious uh, direction. Well, and that is a source of great concern to German Catholic, faithful German Catholics, as, as you've reported. You have a, a piece uh, on the concerned German Catholics published reform initiative opposing controversial synodal path. That's right. Yes, yeah, this is a group of lay people, um, some very quite prominent um, uh, lay uh, faithful in Germany, who um, really want to see a change in this. They they're, they're kicking back against all this radical uh, discussion. They feel that they're not being properly represented. Um, it's called Neue Anfang, which means new beginning, and it's a manifesto for reform. They admit that there should be some reforms, but they should be all uh, coherent with, with the church's teaching and tradition. And um, they're very concerned about the direction, and they want to basically put a halt to it. Um, they they say that the synodal path claims to speak for all Germans, all Catholics in Germany, and to make binding decisions for them. Um, and they obviously disagree with that. And um, I think we could see more and more of this uh, resistance growing as, as the synodal path continues. So, Edward, we don't have much time, but there's another story that I'd like to point uh, people's attentions and attention to at ncregister.com. It relates to uh, the vaccine uh, mandates that are uh, being enforced uh, very, very soon there in, uh, in Italy, the Green Pass. And uh, apparently now three Swiss guards have resigned um, because of the vaccine uh, mandate enforcement. Uh, tell us about that briefly. Yes, these uh, these were three Swiss guards who who resigned because there there've been efforts uh, from the Vatican to to mandate the vaccine, not just have a green pass, but actually mandate the vaccine for the Swiss guard in 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 conformity with a lot of the military around the world who who are mandating vaccines too. Um, but these three uh, did not want to take it, and even the commander of the Swiss guard uh, didn't want to take the vaccine, and in fact um, was apparently threatened to do so. I think they threatened to possibly suspend him, um, and he refused to to, um, to take the vaccine. But then, uh, I think a few days accepted or complied with it. So, so there was concern. I think a lot among a lot of the Swiss Guard. I think 30 of them didn't want to take the vaccine as soon as as recently as July, um, but they obviously most of them then came round to to accepting it. And part of the reason is because the Vatican had seminars organized um, by the health directorate of the Vatican to try to convince them to take the vaccine. 
Well, Edward, as always, it's uh, good to hear from you in Rome, and thank you for all of your reporting. Sure. Good to be with you. Thanks. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, to check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. And if you want to find Edward Penton's work there, just put his name in the search bar. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you.